This is the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. And we are back on the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. Yes, the Catholic Movie Guy is alive. And 2020 is starting off right with, uh, with a good resolution to do at least one of these every month, no matter how busy uh, I am with my actual job. And in the spirit of making this as big uh, of a blowout as possible, I've, I'm giving the people, every person, what they want by having not only the Tim Man on, but also Bo Bonner. We're crossing the streams today, gentlemen. How are you? It's a lot of PhDs in one room. I know. I'm, I'm amazed about the sheer power. Uh, this is going to blow people's speakers, the amount of great takes that will be happening all at once. Yes, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I, I my, my children being born, getting married, but this tops them all. This is the best day of my life. I'm bringing my usual intellectual game today, yeah. meaning none. Yeah. So Tim, Tim has volunteered to take the sort of uh, color analyst role on today's podcast and chime Boom. in only when appropriate slash necessary. One knee equals two feet. There you go. So um, I like the, the it's, it's thematic <laughs> with all the bowl games too. So yes, it's it very out. appropriate. So um, just to keep anyone uh, who cares posted, I'm going to do a uh, year-end wrap-up with Bo because he's actually seen more movies than Tim, which I think probably has seen only the movie we're going to discuss today. Uh, during the calendar year of 2019. But uh, for today's episode, we, we had one special movie that I thought was worthy of bringing in uh, the big hitters on, and that's The Irishman. I realize it's, you know, I'm a month and a half behind, but so be it. That's the subject of today's uh, today's podcast. So This podcast will be digitally altered to appear to be timely. There you go. Yeah, you know, and, and, that, and let's just jump right in right there. So uh, by now, if you have any interest in The Irishman, I assume that you have watched it or will be watching it shortly. So this is going to be a spoiler-filled podcast. But before we talk about the actual substance of the movie, as Tim hinted at, the CGI was a big topic of discussion. Tim, what were your thoughts on the de-aging process? Uh, I understood the need for it, and really, as a work of art, you know, you suspend your disbelief, and all that's fine. It was a little off-putting because it was so noticeable and so unsuccessful. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, care to uh, give a repost? Well, <laughs> I couldn't tell with De Niro. I mean, when he was supposed to be younger, I was like, Wow, he was a, an ugly young man. I guess I, uh, I, so I guess if that's what Tim means by not pulling it off, it might be just De Niro's face. I mean, we got to deal with that possibility. And then when it comes to mo other movies coming out at the time, let's say perhaps another Star Wars entry, I, I don't know who I think is doing the worst job with the de aging process. I think Tron Legacy still probably is uh, taking the cake as the most believable. That's probably what Kurt Russell used to look like. So uh, I don't know. I've gotten used to it, right? The robots are going to kill us all. They may as well make deep fakes and look, make us look younger. <laughs> I enjoyed Tron. Okay, now that he's not talking about Tron. Oh, I know. I so, just okay. brought me back. The old Bruce Boxleitner. So I'll go ahead and... and <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. It's already off the rails. Yeah, this is my fault. Ha this Happy New Year. Um... <laughs> I gotta say, you know that the, the one scene that everyone's talking about, I do agree, was was really badly shot. And I, with all due deference to Martin Scorsese, the scene where he's he's beating down the uh, grocer, that that was very noticeably an old man. But that was more of a physical thing than the actual CGI. The CGI part, yes, I think it's noticeable that they're using it. I think it was more or less successful, more successful with. Um, 
Pesci and uh, Pacino, less see, successful with De Niro. See, I thought that Pacino looked, his face looked fuzzy. I think they all kind of looked off, but I, I guess to me it's kind of, and Scorsese says this, and if you watch the movie, there's a little 20-minute after kind of interview with the main the main actors in Scorsese uh, afterward on Netflix, and it's, it's very good uh, for what it is, but to me it's just kind of like, you know, it's it's akin to wearing too much makeup or whatever. At a certain point, I notice it, and then I don't care anymore, and, and that's kind of where I was overall. It didn't really bother me. I thought he was making a like picture of Dorian Gray part, right? Like you kill enough people in the mob, your face gets fuzzy, and there's some painting where you actually look like you that the CGI hasn't messed with. You know, yeah. I just thought it was like, you know, Scorsese, the moral voice of our time. I just thought he, had, he was going even that deep. A little bit, a little bit. Well, now, now the fact that you say that uh, from the man who made The Last Temptation of Christ appears to be sarcastic, but I'm going to just go and jump right in. With that point, which is, I actually think he is the moral voice of our time. Do you know? Do you know what I'm getting at there? Or do you want me to elaborate? No. no yeah, I do. I, I mean, it's interesting to say. Like, uh, good old Marty has uh, absolute times of of brilliance and uh, and even sort of like deeper than the voice of our time. Like, you know. Uh, but but then uh, it's actually when he kind of wusses out from taking it like all the way where it gets fuzzier than it needs to be. Like, I appreciate him, like, doing silence and, uh, like, doing the Irishman late in his career and, and really trying to wrestle with, like, what does it mean to be drawn to these type of stories over and over again? Um, but, yeah, I don't think that he has, in the end, uh, the, the skeleton key to unlock all the mysteries he thinks he's butting up against. Tim? His magnum opus is Age of Innocence. That was uh, quite the desultory uh, comment there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we're gonna. I'm just gonna go ahead and pivot back to Bo's point, which is what I was hoping would be addressed. I love the Tim. I love him. This is why he's here. Okay. Sure. This is why he's here. But yeah, I think this is. Uh, this movie's all about. It's a reckoning, right? It's a response to, or at least a counter to his. Uh, his young, like almost vivacious gangster movies of Goodfellas and Casino, which are a thrill ride and a joy to watch. And I don't think that this movie was that, and I don't think that it was intended to be that. And it's obsessed with death, right, and with aging. And we talk about the de-aging process, as you said, but aging is just another word for dying, and that's what this movie is all about. He's dying. He He has to reconcile not only what he's brought to the world, uh, but in his own mortality, and that's what these characters are doing too. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, look, you, thinking about like part of the audience that we we three drag into these podcasts, um, I'm sure that they would even be sort of emotionally scarred <laughs> that we're considering uh, everything that Scorsese has done and brought to the table. Um, but I even think about like, okay, let's just like talk about the other you know, elephant in the room when it comes to even like the last temptation of Christ. Like if anybody's ever actually read the book, it is pure heresy, but to be fair to it, uh, the point it's trying to make is actually trying to say like, you know, cousin Stockus was trying to say, well, what happens, right? If we imagine what all Christ gave away, not only in the temptation, you know, like of the devil or all these things, but if he would have got off the cross, right? Like the suffering was enough. And so it's this weird thing that only like, a heretical Greek Orthodox person could come up with, but it was interesting. And Scorsese, old, you know, young Scorsese was just all like, hey, how do we make Jesus be married? 
that would be great. You know, it's like he misses the point that badly. So then you fast forward to Silence, where I think, again, he doesn't make exactly the same point as the book. But you can tell that, like, Silence bothers him in a way that The Last Temptation of Christ didn't. And so you're kind of like, oh, interesting, right? The guy who made the, you know, Departed, where I think also another one where he's dealing with these sort of, like, issues. When it comes to this, this last one, you know, I don't want to say, I, I, I don't think he's, like, sad to find himself a nihilist. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about what people constantly say about the Coens when they go into the sort of like uh, no country for old men world, but then they don't do a good job of reckoning that that same group of people made like, uh, you know, Hail Caesar or uh, Buster Scruggs. I think that people are going to have an extremely hard time wrestling with what they think uh, this film means as a retrospective because of Scorsese's the sort of like brilliant burning you know bird to the establishment this is a movie full of a lot of regret and artistically dealing with regret um interesting ways even though everyone in the film is static and basically goes to the grave thinking like there really wasn't any way we could be different we'll see I, now oh go ahead i don't agree with that yeah i, I was gonna say and, and it's weird that we think alike because we're brothers but <laughs> I, I I just couldn't disagree with your take more, and it's not that I think you're, that you're missing something. I, I've had conversations because we we have this monthly movie get together, and I showed it to people at that, and it was very polarizing between people who thought the way I think, which I'll get to, and the, the way what you just said, which is that. Uh, and I, I guess I'm just gonna ask you to summarize what what you think of. Before we get to that, he mentioned the Coen brothers. Compared to the Coen brothers, Scorsese is Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> Not close. He's done a lot of fine work. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, uh, again, I'm thrown for a loop. <sighs> well, Starting to true. regret this three-man podcast. I mean, really. well, I'm gonna let me throw let me, let me, what, what, what is your What is your position on, on the main character, Frank? What, what his... His end of the life behavior. So you're you're saying that he wasn't obviously really contrite, and he. Oh no no it no! It is no. what let it me, is. No no no! Let me back up. It's uh, no. This is why I'm like really impressed with what Scorsese is doing at the end. The guy knows it's like the whole world we belong to was wrong, and he tries to like he, he does the human thing. I'm gonna like make up with my daughters finally. Um, he talks to the priest because he's a mick and he knows that's what you gotta do. And he's trying to make the confessions. But to me, the key scene is he goes, he's like, I want to be contrite, but I'm not, if I'm being honest, right? So, like, this is where he's like, this, like, I think it's a brave choice. And, like, what a brave character to make where he goes, I know I'm supposed to feel sorry for all of these things, but I, if I'm being honest, I'm not. But Bo, That's what I, think, I mean. But remember, that is one of the best scenes I saw was what you said, right? But... The priest tells him, you know, there, you can be contrite without feeling it. I mean, I these aren't the exact words, but the idea of imperfect conf contrition in the context of a confession, because I saw this whole movie as being told through the lens of his confession, and he right. had the fear of death that is really, I guess, the only thing necessary for sacramental absolution. And I thought that he had that. I thought that was the, the, the end of the movie. I thought he was forgiven. Well, I'll point out that theologically, I think that's probably the case. I'm saying for like the movie, how Scorsese met it, and this is why I think it's like interesting to think of this as him talking about himself, is 
he understands, right, that he needs to confess or like like if we're, if we're putting this all in Scorsese, he realizes, right, that the sort of like world he made and the choices he made, that there were many things to regret. But I do think at the same time there was this, but he, he couldn't shake the feeling, though, that this is the world. And so if you talk about the Irishman, the dude, he knows that, like, there's all these bad consequences. All his buddies are dead. He killed all these people. His family was obliterated. He, he like you said, the fear of death, the imperfect uh, contrition that he really genuinely has. But I really think he says the way that he acts is that but what would he have done different? Right. Like the mob was the world. Right. Like and you, you see that with him in, in Pesci at the end, you know, Pesci's character goes, I chose us. You know, mm-hmm. F that guy. I chose yeah. us. And that idea that, like, it's inescapable. And so, you know, I think that's what Scorsese's getting at. And that's an interesting thing for him. If this is really his sort of, like, recapitulation of his career, that is a really interesting thing to him to be saying. He's like, he could be saying, maybe he's not, that, you know, I understand where I made mistakes in making the movies I did, but I don't, I can't see another way out of it. It's an interesting, and I think that tension holds the whole. I agree with I agree with your point, and that's why I think the the best thing you said in there was um, he did the human thing, tried to make up with his kids. It was a spectacular failure, and right, right. it's it's just to me. I just I only saw it at the end through that because I need absolution myself. That it's nice to see that the sacraments work just like they're supposed to, and that's the mercy of God. But right, uh, you're right about Scorsese as a self testimony. I think that's that's a really good point, but. And I, and I agree with what you're, what you're both saying. But, I mean, in a larger sense, it's also about a sort of constant... And all good art comes back to the same subjects, a sort of resignation to the world or a fadedness versus a free will and a willing, even against what you're feeling or, or where you're being pushed. And that's throughout the movie and also at the end. Uh, I wanted to also say, what the, the, one of the things that I really did like about it, and at first I was kind of thrown off by the sort of affectedness of putting up these little descriptions of how characters died during right. the movie and freezing it like like uh, Zack and Saved by the Bell type thing where the screen freezes and you have this internet. It's great. But right. since it's obsessed with death and dying, and again, it's like even minor characters, very ancillary to the story, you'll you'll learn how they died. And, and oh, this guy died a gruesome death, or, and like the rare exception where they died of natural yeah. causes. Everybody likes shocking this guy. You. He died in bed, yeah. <laughs> and I think that was like my favorite thing about the movie was, even as these people are living it up or having the utmost success in the in this world that they're you know fated to be in, you see how it turns out for them, and that amidst all the frivolity or or the killing or the success or whatever is going on in that character's life, their death is constantly before the audience's eyes. Right. And uh, I thought that was just a brilliant move that he did that. And it indicates well, that what we're talking about was at the forefront of his mind, too. So that makes me think of two things. One is a hot take that's barely related, but i got to get it off my chest. And the other goes back to the movie. Is this One about is... Matheny? No, no, no. Okay. It's a little different. If you notice, all of these gangsters die between, like, 1979 and 1981. And then the deregulation regime and the dispelling of the unions and all this stuff like that quickly happens in America after the 80s. And all I'm saying, guys, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that if maybe if the mob was as powerful in 2008 as it was back then, there'd probably be some dead bankers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> some mysteriously dead bankers. But because all the mob people were thrown in jail or dead, 
you don't get to kill all these bankers. And I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying. But you're just saying. Organized unions are really collaborative extortion, and they violate the contract clause of the Constitution. Interesting. I'm more pro-union than uh, Yeah, Leo the 13th. I'm going to ride with that. Yeah, Yeah, I've come full circle on the unions. From my time but, uh, as a as a gross a grocery bagger, hating that they're taking my money, to now, I, I, th- I think I'm mostly pro. But, but 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 with all that said, this actually goes into the movie. Both the point about what you're saying about like the sort of nadir of like everybody's power, right? Like that that seemed to me to be the reminder, right? Yeah, everybody's gonna die, obviously a theme. But that uh, we, we keep being reminded in the movie that there's like a coda to all of this, and I think that's what interesting, like movie-wise. Usually when you get epilogues, they get to be almost um, dreamy or like afterthoughts or they leave you, leave you with the big question. So to go back just to one I've already mentioned, like with No Country for Old Men, like he's retired. He's talking to his wife. That's like a short scene that makes you like rethink about everything else. Yeah. But it's sort of an add on. The, the action really happened beforehand. There's a way in which like the two hours and whatever of this movie is all for the sake of the epilogue. And well, it's see, really I, interesting. That because... that point, I I agree with completely. Uh, yeah. But I would I would disagree on No Country for Old Men. I think that movie is only defensible in light of the last conversation. I kind of feel the same about this. I don't see a difference. I see a, a similarity. I think No Country for Old Men was great from minute one to the last minute, and it was all the same. No, no, they're both great. But I'm saying like oh, interpretively, yeah. I I disagree. I think that I I would say they're very similar in that. Well, regard. and I, to be I'll, I'll like to be fair, I'm letting like Cormac McCarthy's books, other books, sort of bleed into this. That he he is very wont to throw an epilogue that even like link like language wise will be different than everything else. And and again, like an even easier example of this is like uh, Blood Meridian or. Uh, the road where like the the epilogues are both really short but incredibly like mystical and symbolic no country for old men's a little different but i still kind of see that the same i, I would argue i see I, i'm not acting like it's like an add-on but i'm saying like really the movie like if you go if, if i'm having like a students in class plot out the movie the plot of the movie is the epilogue and then literally like a, five six of the movie is for the sake of a sixth of it yeah. And he pulls it off, and it's very interesting. But you don't, you don't get that, right? This goes back to what you're saying with, with, with the death, right? Why does he keep telling? Here's when this character dies. Here, here this character dies. By the halfway through, you get to go, oh, this is also a confession, and oh, this is all, this is all the past. And so you start to go, oh, all of this is for the sake of the ending. So by the time that you get to the ending, now you're used to Scorsese films like you're waiting for the ending. The ending's going to be just a bloodbath, right? And, explosions and all this stuff but now he amped up the narrative tension where you can't wait to see this old man's dying days it's brilliant move i i was extremely impressed because two hours in i'm like how is he going to end this and then you find out the sake of the whole movie is the ending i was really impressed so in that regard and i agree with everything you just said but uh did you feel like in light of that point the the length of the movie was an asset or necessary or or not uh i don't know i mean i think scorsese again this is me i'm doing a lot of assumed psychology of scorsese i usually try to avoid that but i think he tried to go if you're going to do netflix and again sorry to make it related to the coen brothers but like why not do something on netflix that you wouldn't necessarily do in uh 
the theater. And I know he's made long movies before, but there is really a way that, like, this is sort of like a movie, which, again, like two-thirds of it is told with almost a, a sort of um, episodic TV-like, mm-hmm. at least a nod towards that. And uh, so I think there's two different questions. Is like, does it make sense that he did that? I'm like, yeah, I think it works that way. I don't think it's too onerous. Um, is every scene absolutely necessary to get to the end? I think I'd have to watch it again to really decide that. Yeah, I've watched it. I've watched it twice, and I can tell you the answer is no. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it didn't bother me either. I think I'm I'm kind of in the middle on that. Could it have been I never even better of... as a tight, you know, like. A, a very tight two and a half hours maybe but it, it was it was just fine the way it I is. never think of that when I see a movie like it is what it is you know did it work or didn't it work I don't I don't think like who am I to tell Scorsese to cut a half an hour you're the Tim man that's the true man. did you ever think of Bob while you were watching this movie wait what did you think of Bob while you were watching this movie? The great like Bob my Dylan? Like my dad my dad Bob no, oh Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan. Yeah, Bob. Just, just ignore it. I him. thought about him so uh, I've, yes, I figured yes. you did. He's no, always, he's always a joke. A... And I'll tell you what, man, this whole uh, you know uh, charge a guy with a gun, run away from a knife. That was the best thing I learned in that whole movie. That was valuable, valuable lesson in that movie. Dude, the I mean, like again, this is something where you know, I, again, I I grow up uh, an Okie with like a, a dad who works in like the power industry with like long old stories about how the union is just corrupt and the mob and stuff like this. So, you know, you go through life with these sort of predispositions about what it means, like the mobs and stuff like that. But you're like, you know what? If Hoffa was even half as, uh, uh, you know, electric as, uh, as the, you know, Al Pacino made him, you can begin to understand why a bunch of truckers thought the dude walked on water. I, I, the, the performance to make him believable as a guy everybody knew as a crook but still loved very impressive. And in fact, I think if Jimmy Hoffa had just simply said to his uh, mob overseers, hoo he'd be empowered to that. That was his worst role by far. Yeah. By the way, no, the Hoffa character was great. Did you know he dies in this movie? <laughs> I, I am, look, I'm impressed that Scorsese, instead of dancing around it, was all like, Oh yeah, the mom killed Kennedy and Hoffa. Of course. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, and I, 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 that's in the book, but I, you know. Do you think the mob killed Kennedy? That was a government op. Yeah, I, I wanted to say this because uh, I want to do a podcast about it, but haven't yet. But our movie club offering the prior month just happenstance was JFK, the Oliver Stone one, and uh, the, the 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 consonance between you know conspiracies and the dissonance was impressive. But I, we all know that you know. It didn't happen the way they said, but as you know, George, uh, my, my, my George H. W. Bush was in. Sorry, go ahead. George H. W. Bush was in Dallas on the day Kennedy was killed, but he lied and said he was in Houston. Why is that? Well, I can tell you that like everyone in my family, like they're just like, oh right, Ruby worked for the mob. We're like, we're like, we don't, we don't know about Oswald and other shooters, but like Ruby obviously was a mob guy and like shot the the witness who could tell because the mob wanted him dead. And I oh. that's. that's by the well, way, I don't know why. When it all goes down on our end, just remember that I'm the patsy. Okay. <laughs> Tim, we don't can believe anything. We can all read. agree that Tim's the patsy. Thank you. That's One right. more thing to put a bow on this uh, three and a half hour movie with a five second podcast. Uh, <laughs> this was not an original point. I don't, you know, I've I've read it in multiple places, but the analogies uh, of the end of the movie to The Godfather. 
where he's uh, in the room and the priest is going to close the door on him, a la Michael Corleone, with you know closing right. the door on his wife. And he says, no, leave the door open. Blah, blah, blah. It, it indicates, again, the fear, the death-obsessed nature that this guy's afraid. He's, he's been denuded of all power. But also, I think, I really do think that Scorsese, in trying to grapple with this, is also trying to leave not just the door open to show that he's he's afraid to have the door closed, but also that you know there's a there's the door open on on a valid confession and on right. on a meaningful life is that is that read accurate yeah and i mean again i'm stealing this from somewhere else but like the whole you know kind of uh superstitious in a way that only immigrant catholic catholic america could have it where he's like i want to be buried at the top of the mausoleum because it doesn't seem as final um mm-hmm. i think that plays exactly into your point is like i think scorsese is uh you know scared of death as a nice Italian boy who's disappointed his grandma can be, but then also that that sphere kind of I mean I think he noticed this about himself and put it throughout the movie is come on that fear has to count for something. Um, I know this guy, a director, a hitman. I know they lived their entire life um, almost like they were um, using their Catholicism as a window dressing. Like in some ways their entire life can be seen as uh, using the Lord's name in vain, as it were. But, like, here at the end, if he's still worried about burying me in the top, you know, part of the mausoleum, don't close the door, that can't be nothing. And it's weird to think about that, that he made this movie after silence, where his directorial decision that was not in the book was make sure to put a cross in the guy's hand when he's, like, being burnt as a Buddhist priest, but really focus on it, right? The sort of Kierkegaardian... Uh, touch, I think someone has thrown out there, and so that starts to be, like you said, this really interesting point to 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 then watch the whole movie again and see where he tucks that in the whole time. And I absolutely think that his change to silence, especially in light of this one, is is you know a hundred percent basically the same ending, which is, you know, this guy doesn't deserve a redemptive ending. This guy was a coward, you know, and every time it mattered most. But nevertheless, we don't we don't see the unseen confession in silence, but it's the same effect. The, well, the doors also, o- the doors open a crack. To me, right. the the juxtaposition with The Godfather, which wasn't a Scorsese film, but also Goodfellas, especially that scene where Karen is talking about how the wooing of Henry Hill was so impressive, but he knew everybody, etc. Is back then, you know, it's like okay, they were flashy, they controlled everything, they didn't care who knew it, they were they were rich, they lived a great really great lifestyle, but. The smart mobsters in this movie, considering the, the the historical time period, they had to live like schmubs, look like they had nothing, keep it really quiet, and then in, in the in the end, it's like, well, what in the heck is it? What's the point of having all this stuff if you have to live like a normal schmo? They don't get any of the benefits of being a mobster, but they still did it, and they all live quiet and constrained, and and you know you don't rat somebody out, but you don't flaunt your wealth, et cetera, et cetera. It just yeah, seemed like no. the opposite of the Godfather there. And it's interesting because, uh, so again, like, so comparing it with Silence one more time, you know, like, like Scorsese really, it's really interesting people have differing opinions about how he took Indo's claim that Japan is a swamp that, like, no root can grow in, and that's why Indo thinks Christianity, blah, blah, blah. Um, it goes back to this idea of, like, well, what do you do with the sort of, like, environment uh, that seems like you can't get out of it for the people who are within it? Can they ever do that? Blah, blah, blah. 
But but I'm with you, Tim. That like eventually, what it seems interesting is that there seems to be an argument that for how completely warped it all is, at the root of this, there is ways that people can make actual acts of devotion and selflessness. It just happens to be that you have to kill Jimmy Hoffa <laughs> in, in, in order for all of that to work out in the mob world. And, and I think about that with, uh, you know, Frank at the beginning of The Departed, where he's all like, they said we had the church, but really that's just another way to say we had each other, right? And, uh, you know, in The Departed, that sort of cynical, especially since, you know, he turns out to be, you know, like a rat to the FBI or whatever. But here... It seems like in the end, right, Pesci's being, you know, wheeled away. I'm going to church. You know, he's going to church, mm -hmm. and he went to the hospital, and then he went to the grave. Like, it's, it's an I interesting thought, take. I thought, I really thought Pacino gave a great performance, and Pesci, too. I really thought yeah. they were terrific. That was it, great. I mean, just, that, that has to be Pesci's best. I mean, like, because, like, you know, on one hand, he was Pesci. <clears> my cousin like, Vinny. Ah, <clears throat> Pesci. But on the other hand, he really that, that dude had chops that I think a lot of people never really let him. Right, he well, was he show. was restrained when you never saw it before. I hate to yeah. I hate to disagree on my you know end on a contentious note, but clearly you've never seen the super, so we'll just pretend <laughs> that I, I haven't. In any event, uh, <laughs> of course you have. It's it's uh, it's something. So, all that being said, I will now wrap this up with uh, a final call. I'll start with Tim because, you know, he just demands to be started first. I'm sorry. Uh, How many Tim Mans or the Tim Mans do you give this out of ten? I give it eight Tim Mans out of ten. The Tim Mans. The Tim Man, 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 the Tim Man. That might have been more than eight. Bo, thoughts? Eight and a half. I admit that this is one where I give the possibility to trend up. It's kind of hard to like watch a movie this long over uh, the holiday breaks, knowing that like several children might come in and watch a very violent movie. Um, but it seems to me that I, I can see the possibility. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, they're around their grandparents. They're used to that. But, uh, <laughs> He's the, from Oklahoma, Tim. The, the, uh, the, the possibility of it going higher exists, but I, I'm saying eight and a half. I, I heard people be really weirdly polarizing about this. And uh, I am not exactly sure why. I think even if you don't think it's one of his best, it's certainly uh, a good movie and very interesting, and uh, I liked it. I agree. It could absolutely go up. A lot of movies go up in retrospect or go down. This one could go up. It's not going to be lower than eight. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that sentiment. I would give it a little higher, give it a nine. I've watched it twice now. Uh, my first viewing, it was more of an eight, shot up to a nine. I could see it going more and more. It's, it's it's the type of leisurely and meaningful work that I think repeated viewings will reward once you aren't so invested in when something's going to happen or what's going to happen. But right. uh, I could be wrong. In any event, great movie. Everyone should give it a chance uh, as long as you're allowed to watch R-rated movies. Some of my commenters aren't, as they've let me know that because it's rated R, they won't be seeing it, which is true, which is great. But then, you know, say love you. So that's that. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, both. It was an honor, a distinguished honor, and one which uh, I hope to have again, actually, to have yeah, both of you on at the same list. time. Yes, yeah. exactly. Ah. The trip to Rome is next, but this will be a good start on the bucket <laughs> list. Uh, Bo and I, and maybe the Tim Man, if he watches the movie, will be back with a year end wrap up. Sometime in the early new year, at the latest in so February. So Hollywood thing. 
No, you did see. You did I see saw one. two movies. You saw two show. movies this year, so we'll see. Wow. In That's any amazing. event, in any event, uh, you know, I got some catching up to do before that podcast, and uh, hopefully everyone else will too. Thank you all, and uh, until next time on the Catholic Movie Guy podcast, I'm out. <laughs>